Hello, and welcome to the Doctors Washington Podcast. On this episode of The Focus, we want to discuss COVID-19. Of course, this is a topic that is taking over the news um, right now. We're going to give a general overview of COVID-19. We'll talk about symptoms, some new treatments that are on the horizon, and of course, the thing that everyone's talking about right now, the vaccine. So we will get started with a quick overview of COVID-19. I'm sure that most people who are listening have heard of this virus uh, and know some of the things that it can cause. Right now, we are really seeing a lot of strains within our healthcare system um, about COVID-19. And so we'll just kind of get started. Um, Dr. Kimberly, do you want to talk a bit about what COVID is and what it can do? So COVID-19 is basically, as you all are, have been well educated in, I'm sure via television and um, on the news, um, it's a virus that um, we actually originally didn't know exactly what it attacks, like what it um, exactly uh, does to your body. We saw the manifestations of this virus as uh, more of a issues with your respiratory system or your ability to breathe. And that seemed to be initially the, the thought of um, what the virus did, it created a pneumonia. Um, but we're also seeing a lot of people who are presenting with other symptoms, which make us think that maybe this virus could attack our blood vessels. And that's the reason why we're seeing all these different type of symptoms that are associated with it. So um, as far as the virus goes, we do know that the first, um, um, the first um, instance of it with pneumonia, an unknown cause of pneumonia was started in Wuhan, China back in the fall of 2019. Um, and then it rapidly uh, crossed the oceans in the, in the land until it got all the way around the world by uh, the end of the winter of 2020. Um, and so that's as much as we knew. So this virus is extremely new. This particular iteration of it is extremely new. And it requires scientists to really um, use every, um, every bit of information that they've learned in order to figure out how to treat it and ultimately how to create a vaccine for it. Yeah, I think that, you know, one thing to recognize is that COVID-19 comes from a coronavirus or is a form of a coronavirus. And so the thing to know is that coronaviruses have really been around probably for millions of years. You know, we have coronaviruses that cause us to have a common cold. But then there have been other coronaviruses that have had pandemic potential, like SARS and MERS. Um, those we saw in the early 2000s, and they were mainly uh, in Asia and in the Middle East. And luckily, they didn't become global pandemics, but they certainly had the potential. And so a lot of public health officials knew this, and so they were thinking about um, really trying to develop a potential vaccine for coronaviruses because they had a pretty high suspicion 
that it would be a coronavirus that would cause a global pandemic, which is what we're seeing now. And so, um, you know, really when we talk about symptoms of COVID-19, it can really cause all types of symptoms. You know, we hear on the news, we talk, we've seen in patients, the shortness of breath, the cough, um, other symptoms. I know it can really affect all parts of the body. I think um, Dr. Jasmine can give us a little bit more information about what all COVID can do. So yeah, COVID-19 really, as Dr. Latanya mentioned, can cause a wide variety of symptoms. The first types of symptoms that most people typically associate with COVID-19 infection include those typical flu-like symptoms um, or cold-like symptoms. So uh, shortness, cough, shortness of breath, sore throat, runny nose, those types of things. But as time has gone on, we've noticed that really COVID-19 tends to have additional symptoms like headache or loss of smell or taste or uh, digestive tract symptoms like diarrhea, nausea, or sometimes even general weakness or just not feeling well. Uh, in, the more, in the most severe forms, uh, COVID-19 can present with uh, the shortness of breath that can lead you to present to the hospital with uh, low oxygen numbers. Uh, also, there have been uh, not infrequently reported uh, patients that unfortunately pass suddenly um, at home from other complications of COVID-19. So uh, when we when we say this is uh, this virus has really shown itself to be like the great mimicker, uh, that's not an understatement. So especially given that the virus is uh, pretty rampant at this point in the in the community, then we have to have a higher uh, in what we call in medicine, a higher index of, of suspicion or uh, just have to think about it more than we previously would have just because it's out there and it can have any types of symptoms. Yeah, you know, one of the things a lot of people say during this particular season is that they have a lot of allergy symptoms, um, but sometimes really your normal or what you feel your normal allergies could could really be COVID. And then also to discuss that sometimes some people don't have symptoms of COVID at all, but they really can still continue to spread the disease. And so then we, we start to talk about like testing. So when should we be tested? Uh, what symptoms should you look for before testing? I think that all of the symptoms that Dr. Jasmine recommended, you know, if you have any of those, then you should certainly be tested. And if you've been exposed to someone who has COVID, um, then you should be tested. Um, Dr. Kimberly, you wanna talk a little bit about the COVID testing? Uh, so getting a COVID test really should be pretty straightforward. If you call your primary care physician, they should be able to arrange that. Um, you, or if you go to an urgent care with symptoms, they should be able to arrange um, that to be done. Uh, frequently, if you come in with symptoms into a facility like that, they won't necessarily bring you in. Um, they'll have you stay in the car and, um, and then they'll arrange for a mobile testing site. 
and we haven't quite gotten to the point where we um, are typically doing tests in the community uh, directly through urgent cares. The, um, if you go into the ER, then they will also do it when you're there. Um, and the test is pretty straightforward. If you haven't received one yet, um, they place a, a pretty long um, swab through one of your, um, in, one, in your nose. And it gets pretty far back there, which does make you um, make you, your eyes water a little bit, but the sensation goes away within a few minutes. Um, and that's pretty much it. Once they have a swab from the back, the inside of your nose pretty far back, then um, they send that off. And then they usually will give you a call with the results of it within about um, two to five days. It just depends on where you are. People are, finding um, we are getting the test results back a little bit quicker now um, since we are um, a little bit more I guess used to doing this test it's not like how it was initially um, and so that's that's one piece also frequently uh, recently they've approved at home COVID test which Dr. Jasmine has a little bit more information about and so I'll let her explain the differences between the um, the current um, COVID tests and this at this home test that they they have available now. Thanks, Dr. Kimberly. So, uh, as we know, the as Dr. Kimberly mentioned, uh, the typical way that uh, most people have been being tested for uh, active COVID nineteen infection is through the nasal swab um, that she mentioned. However, actually, recently within the last week, uh, the FDA has approved uh, an uh, at-home COVID-19 test that also uses the nasal swab uh, as, a, as a way to get the sample. And the hope is that it'll be available within the next few months to um, individuals in pharmacies and things. Um, this is a really, uh, a really breaking uh, development just because the key is the, or I guess the difficulty that folks have been having is the ability or access to, uh, to actually getting tested because sometimes there, as Dr. Kimberly mentioned, there are designated sites in the community that uh, individuals will be directed to to get tested or tested at urgent cares or the emergency room if your symptoms are severe enough. But the flexibility that being able to test yourself at home uh, gives you is that you can get an answer back in about, I, I think they state that it's about 15 minutes is when you uh, can get the answer back. And it's as good, if not better than the testing that is uh, used in the, in the hospital. So uh, if you, it, it basically uh, tells you if you have, co if you do have COVID and have symptoms that it's it's a high likelihood that it's going to pick it up. And if you don't, then it's also a high likelihood that it's going to be accurate in saying that you don't have it, whether you have symptoms or don't. So um, I think that's very important. And the fact that it's affordable is going to be helpful in uh, allowing people to have access to, to testing without going to a, a doctor's office to pay a copay or to an emergency room for an emergency room visit. The other thing too is that by testing at home, 
uh, that decreases, uh, you know, exposure risk to other healthcare workers that are able, that are uh, being utilized in, in doing the actual swab. So it decreases the number of people that um, possible infected folks uh, can uh, expose uh, to the virus. Yeah, I think that's uh, a really great point, Dr. Jasmine. You know, this at-home COVID test, I think that the cost of it is about $25 per test, which still is a little bit costly. I know that they are continuing to work on things. And um, I read somewhere that they were going to try to see if they can come up with a test that would cost about $5 per test to make it more economical for people. Um, but then also to talk about the testing. So the testing that you um, have been receiving, if you have gotten a COVID test or if you know someone who's received a COVID test, um, there are two types of tests. You have um, the antigen test and then the PCR test. And so the antigen test is usually one that you're able to get back relatively rapidly, like within um, a few hours. And so that test will tell you if you're positive or negative. So usually when, um, in, in my facility, when we have patients that come in that have suspected COVID, they will do an antigen test. And if that antigen is positive, then we treat that patient as if they have COVID. Uh, if that antigen test is negative, then we do a backup test with a PCR. Um, which is a bit more sensitive to detect whether the patient actually has COVID or not. So there have been instances where the antigen test, which was the rapid test, was negative, but then the PCR test was positive. And so that uh, is something to know that when you're out in the community, it's important to know whether you receive the antigen test or the PCR test when you're talking about COVID positive because there is a high incidence of false negatives, meaning that you actually have COVID, but your test came back negative. Um, so all of those things are, are really important. Um, I think it's also important for us to talk about when you should seek care for COVID-19. Of course, if you're having shortness of breath or difficulty breathing, you definitely would want to go um, to seek care um, at a hospital. You know, most of the patients that have to be admitted to the hospital for COVID have shortness of breath and their oxygen levels are low, meaning that they have to be placed on supplemental oxygen. Um, and then, of course, we've heard about those worst case scenarios where those patients have to be on the ventilators. Um, any other input, ladies, on, you know, when it's important to seek care for, um, for COVID? So um, this is Dr. Jasmine. I think that really anytime you're having symptoms that you can't explain that are that don't really make sense and you think that you may have an exposure, then seek then seek uh, medical attention. Uh, just because again, as we mentioned, uh, COVID can really have a lot of different symptoms um, and present a lot of different ways. And the biggest thing that we can do is treat you early um, with the available therapies that we have. So, um, you know, if you have any symptoms that arise that you just can't explain and that don't go away, um, seek care. Yeah. And, and so I think that another thing that uh, we have to get into and talk about is the vaccine, because that is the thing that has been the most talked about. 
you know, just within the past week or so, we've had two vaccines that have gotten FDA emergency use authorization. We, uh, the Pfizer vaccine, as well as the Moderna vaccine, uh, both of these vaccines use mRNA technology. And I have heard lots of people say, oh, I'm not gonna get the vaccine. I think it was created too quickly. All types of conspiracy theories surrounding this vaccine. Um, so just to let you know, uh, all three of us, either we have received the vaccine or we are scheduled to receive the vaccine. Um, I know for me at the time of this recording, I'm about 48 hours out from receiving the vaccine. I've not really had any side effects or symptoms. Um, Dr. Jasmine, you want to tell about your vaccine experience thus far? So I uh, received my vaccine um, less than 12 hours ago at this point. And the only real thing that I feel is uh, soreness at the, um, at the injection site, um, which is typical for most vaccines, as you guys know, um, will uh, keep you posted if there are any additional um, symptoms that develop and um, try to make another podcast to tell you, you guys a little more information as it comes available. Dr. Kimberly, you want to talk about, I know you are scheduled for the vaccine. You want to talk a bit about that and if you have any hesitancies about the vaccine? Yeah, I'm scheduled to get the vaccine tomorrow and I don't have any reservations. It's happening tomorrow. Uh, this is Dr. Jasmine. I will say this for, for those that are skeptical or have concerns about the vaccine. One way that I uh, thought about it as I was looking through the data that's available is uh, really every decision that we make in medicine is based on risks and benefits. And um, when you really think about it, I know everyone has seen how, uh, you know, there are, you know, nearly 20 million cases of uh, COVID in the United States and more than 300,000 deaths from the virus at this point with rising hospitalization rates. Um, one thing that we uh, have to keep in mind is uh, when you look at the uh, reports of, you know, some individuals having allergic reactions to the vaccine itself, the number is very low at this point. I believe it's on the order, of, it's less than 10 for sure, um, as compared to the large numbers that I just mentioned of people that not only get infected, but also get hospitalized. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, some need a ventilator and then another percentage of that, as I mentioned, more than 300,000 at this point in the United States uh, have unfortunately passed from uh, COVID-19 infection. When you look at the risk versus benefits, at, uh, um, related to that, it, for me, I feel like the benefits of the vaccine greatly outweigh the risks um, associated with it because the risk that you're looking at is getting COVID, getting hospitalized uh, for the infection, potentially requiring a ventilator or potentially succumbing to the, the disease. So um, when you put it in perspective like that, even a, a small uh, likelihood of a, an allergic re reaction if that's treatable and um, as easily in a medical setting or outside of a medical setting is uh, far outweighs the, the risk uh, of uh, getting the actual infection. 
Yeah, Dr. Jasmine, I agree with that. I think that, you know, that certainly was my thought. I was more afraid of getting COVID um, than I was of uh, getting the vaccine. And then one of the other things that we didn't really talk about, um, and we're still learning new things day every day, is about the long-term complications of COVID. You know, we know that this virus can cause you to have blood clots in the lungs. They can it can cause you to have um, heart disease, like long-standing heart disease. There are people who were previously. Um, you know, highly performing athletes who after COVID infection were unable to get much done um, after that um, after that initial infection, like their activity level significantly decreased as a uh, as a result of COVID-19. And so um, that is one thing that we have to really think about. You know, I know a lot of people talk about the mistrust, um, particularly in communities of color um, surrounding uh, medical trials. And so that's something that we don't want to discount. I mean, we know about the Tuskegee experiment. A lot of people um, really don't know all of the things surrounding the Tuskegee experiment. There's a lot of misinformation out there talking about that they actually infected the patients with syphilis. So this was a study that was really targeting Black men. And they um, intentionally sought out men who had syphilis. At the beginning of the study, there was no known treatment for syphilis. But during the, um, the time of the study, penicillin uh, was discovered as a, a curative treatment. And those individuals were not allowed to have treatment. And then we talk about other things like Henrietta Lacks. We talk about the uh, gynecological experimentation uh, of women. And so all of those things are, um, are things that we have to talk about. Uh, and so um, that's what we have going currently. So we certainly understand all of those things that have occurred in history. Uh, in regards to medical care and persons of color. So we don't want to discount those things at all. Um, I think it's important to know that as a result of those things, a lot of things have changed in healthcare in regards to clinical trials and experimentation. And because of those things, you know, they've had institution of um, review boards, independent panels, uh, to review medical um, experimentation cases or clinical trials to ensure that they are, in fact, safe um, for use and safe for all. And then when we talk about the COVID vaccines in particular, to note that, you know, these were randomized controlled clinical trials. And in those studies, they did have all types of patients there. Um, young people and older people, um, persons of color. Um, there were about 10% African Americans in each of the Pfizer and the Moderna studies that has been documented. And, you know, really when we look at the number of, of um, people of color in experiments, we would really like for them to mirror the amount of um, 
persons in the population. And so the U.S. currently has about 13% African-Americans. And so a number of 10% is not the greatest, but um, it's not horrible either. So I think that people uh, of color were well represented in those studies. And so just knowing that the way that the data was collected um, was done in safely. When we talk about the vaccines, you know, we do have evidence that these vaccines are safe and that they're very effective and um, that the side effect profile is pretty low. You know, one of the things that I've said repeatedly about this vaccine is that, you know, be confident that millions of healthcare workers will have received the vaccine before it's open to the public. And so the fact that we are all doing well post-vaccine should serve as evidence that, you know, it is okay for you to receive those vaccines as well. Now, I know that my words won't necessarily make you agree or change your mind about the vaccine, but I encourage you to continue to research and, and read from reputable sources and just know that um, myself, Dr. Kimberly and Dr. Jasmine, um, we have all either received the COVID vaccine or planning to receive the COVID vaccine and that we are doing well. And so um, I'm gonna let Dr. Jasmine kind of give us a closeout for this episode, but of course we will be talking about COVID a lot in the future. So yes, as Dr. Latanya mentioned, uh, given the COVID vaccine and all things COVID-19 now are uh, still a pretty big topic in our uh, daily lives, we feel like we should also devote a good amount of time to address uh, additional questions or, um, you know, information that comes out uh, regarding both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, as well as other vaccines that are in the uh, development pipeline. So that ends this episode. Um, thank you for listening to us. Uh, please subscribe and like us on the various platforms and stay tuned also to additional podcasts that we will be, we will be publishing over in the coming uh, weeks to continue to discuss the COVID-19 pandemic as well as additional vaccines that are coming down the pipeline. Um, we think that because this is something that's so uh, prevalent in our community that it deserves an equal amount of time. Uh, we'll also uh, plan to incorporate some questions from uh, other individuals that have asked us, you know, just regular questions about COVID-19 and the vaccine and our thoughts about those things. And we want to share that with you all because that we think that that is something that's going to be helpful to everyone and uh, help you help provide you with uh, reputable and, uh, information to help you make your decision uh, about this vaccine. So again, thanks for your time and see you later.